Section 12. I shipped, therefore I am. Who are you and why are you here? Dave Cutler. By July 1992, it seemed like the whole of the industry gathered in San Francisco at the Moscone Center for the first Win32 Professional Developers Conference, which came to be known as the Win32 PDC, named after the 32-bit Windows APIs that were unveiled and the cornerstone of the event. For the first time, Microsoft also mentioned Chicago, the code name for the successor to Windows 3.11, which would become Windows 95 real soon now. More than 5,000 developers attended this event, an enormous number, and were introduced to Windows NT 3.1 preliminary release build 297, dated June 28th. And it was provided to attendees. As I recall, something like 25,000 developers ultimately received the first CD-ROM. There's an online video of Bill G. presenting the keynote at this PDC in 1992. Windows NT was a next-generation operating system aiming for the professional workstation and high-end data center markets to compete with Unix and VMS from Digital Equipment Corporation, or DEC. The project leader and architect was the legendary Dave Cutler, along with a group of experienced engineers, also from Digital Equipment and the creators of Windows NT. It was a 32-bit and 64-bit operating system designed from scratch to run on several of the latest microprocessors, not just Intel, including that from MIPS, a Silicon Valley startup. When it was under development, it was always scheduled to ship real soon now, though the project was always under control and managed with a military precision and discipline. The task of building NT was immense. Like every project, it just took longer than people thought it would, even the most experienced team. At the PDC, the OS was referred to as a beta by most. Not quite a beta. Officially, it was labeled preliminary release for developers. It was a build, basically the most current version that worked. The team was extremely hardcore about maintaining daily quality. Every day, a build was created that was reliable enough for the team to self-host. The NT daily build was as solid as anything Microsoft was doing at the time, and it was a new OS built from scratch, running on brand new hardware. It was impressive, even in its early stages. The online version has a photo of the CD-ROM, as well as screenshots of Windows NT Build 297. Along with the compiler and tools from the Languages Group, a major effort, we released a beta version of our entire MFC application framework, which would eventually become version 2.0. This included the ability to create Windows programs for NT on 386 and MIPS. By this time, the industry was calling the chips 386, because the Intel i386 had a competitor in the, in the AMD AM386, which was fully compatible. And it was also for Windows 32 and Windows 3.1, now referred to as Win16. For the sake of completion, I should mention Win32S, the implement, implementation of the Win32 API on Windows 3.1. It was viewed as a potential way to expand the Win32 applications to existing PCs. In the end, it sounded better than it really was. We even considered using it for the C++ product, but at the time, it was comforting to developers who thought it would expand the reach of new Win32 applications and a classic Microsoft approach of trying to include existing hardware and code in a new strategy. Reaching this milestone was huge for our AFX team, all 18,692 lines of code. Our team shipped our first product. I shipped a product. It was a beta and all, but still... It was on a CD-ROM and everything. It was also my first time speaking at an industry conference. 
This was a huge conference with many tracks and a wide range of developers. C++ and object-oriented programming were extremely hot topics, so I ended up giving a talk to what seemed like the largest room I'd ever been in, certainly bigger than the Usenix ballroom and bigger than any meeting on Microsoft's campus. By this time, we had a great story to tell about being reformed upaholics and hardcore using C++ as a better C, and importantly, about our class library being all about Windows and not competing with Windows or duplicating it. The online version has a slide from my presentation about hardcore development with AFX. A funny thing happened along the way to the PDC. I got to meet Dave C. It was terrifying and then gratifying. As soon as it became clear that MFC and C++ would ship with the PDC release of Windows NT, we were introduced to the NT ship room. This was a conference room, but one where the team met every day to discuss bugs and propose changes to the product. The NT team and many other teams preferred to call it the war room as a source of pride, sometimes even officially with an engraved door sign. I always hated that term and wouldn't use it. Building software is not a war at the very least. It was lorded over by the most imposing engineer I ever met, Dave Cutler, email Dave C. Everyone was terrified of Dave. No one wanted to be responsible for slowing down the progress or worse, introducing an error somewhere that caused problems for others. The ship rooms and apps were challenging, but nothing at all like this one. During the NT project, Dave famously put his fist through the wall. The team memorialized the hole in the wall by writing the date next to it with a marker and framing the hole. Things were different over there. My role was to attend these meetings regularly and just not say anything. And if I was asked something, to just say MFC was on track and had no issues. And then go back to doing everything I could do to have no issues. Keith Rowe, email Keith R.O., had the job representing the compiler to the ship room and was constantly given a much harder time at these meetings. I am certain his Canadian disposition served him well in these moments. I just sat in the back and wasn't allowed to make a mistake. There was just one thing. I thought the Windows NT team was making a mistake, a pretty big one. We were building MFC to make it easy for programmers to create apps for either 16-bit Windows 3.0 as it was shipping millions of copies and for the new 32-bit Windows NT. We were committed to using the Windows APIs and not fixing them or changing them. Unfortunately, there was an organizational and philosophical schism across the 16-bit Windows 3 team and the 32-bit NT team. The resulting divide created differences in the APIs for each of the windows, a difference in expression in windows.h, the header file to be specific, that made it difficult for the APIs to work in C++. Ostensibly, this was due to expanding the APIs to handle twice as many bytes, that is, widening from 16 to 32 bits. But as much as it was also rooted in the assumptions for how compilers worked, which were just not correct. The functionality was the same, but would have made it, it would have made it tricky for developers and would not have worked if there was ever a world where we would move from 32 to 64 bits, which of course happened a decade later. The idea of a seamless and scalable API from 16-bit to 32-bit and also 64-bit Windows was a key strategic initiative, and it felt like we were at ground zero, showing it was not coming together nearly as clean as it could. There were also a good number of gratuitous changes in the Windows APIs, among the 350 or so that existed at the time, that were made by the NT team, likely fixing some irregularities or inconsistencies in the original Windows APIs. Jeff Harbors, my manager, thought this was a great opportunity for me to show leadership. 
an opportunity for advancement, as they say in the military. He sent mail to Dave C., subject line, Win32 issue, and copied me, suggesting that I meet with Dave C. Once again, I was terrified. I was a newly minted lead who had never shipped. I hid in the back of the ship room. I was trying to ship our product for the first time on the biggest train at Microsoft. I was supposed to meet with the larger-than-life general of Windows NT. On some level, I wanted none of this. I went over to meet Dave C., though. It was just the two of us in one of the tiny conference rooms, a single 60-inch round table that made up the interior ends of the single X buildings. I was sitting there. He walked in and looked at me in an annoyed tone and barked, Who are you and why are you here? I was prepared with all sorts of printouts and descriptions of the problem and began to explain. There was an argument of sorts, but mostly he kept asking me why I waited so long to bring this up. This would be a massive change when every change was scrutinized, even without the PDC deadline. Like every good engineering manager, I would come to understand figuring out who messed up was far less important than the stress over fixing it so late in the process. I went on to explain that we were a new project and this the first people doing C++ programs on top of both Win16 and Win32. I explained how we modified the code in question and tested it, and it works fine. Of course, everyone always says that about changes. I tried to steer the conversation to the degree you could call it that, to where Windows NT varied from Windows 3.1. I didn't understand why things changed or assigned blame. There was just some more yelling, though clearly not at me as much as at the situation. I recall sticking to my ground only because it seemed so obvious and even trivial. In hindsight, I had no experience with the how off the rails, with how off the rails things could go by making small changes towards the end of a huge project. These would be changes to the mother of all files, Windows.h. I really can't believe I advocated for making that change. I'm pretty sure later in my career, when sitting in the other seat, I never would have accepted it so late. Nevertheless, the change happened. I didn't even get the benefit of admission of my correct view in person. Rather, on my way back to Building 17, while I was feeling like throwing up, Dave sent mail to Jeff that read, fine, or something like that. Jeff was proud of me, and I was relieved and felt I accomplished something, but really it was just weird. To be honest, I felt best when Rick Powell, someone I thought so highly of, said months later, I heard you went and fought with Dave Cutler, emphasis in his voice, over this change and won. Shortly after the PDC, Microsoft C, C++, version 7.0 development system for Windows, released to manufacturing in August 1992. It took time to manufacture and distribute to stores because the box weighed over 42 pounds in shipping and included 23 floppy disks and over 10,000 pages of printed documentation in 24 books. The box was so large that Microsoft's own manufacturing facility could not handle it, and it was ultimately packaged at a plant in Oregon that handled sporting equipment. This was physically the heaviest product Microsoft ever shipped, and the last time a developer product was released on floppy disks. The online version includes a photo of the full box of C7, and there's a ruler next to it showing over two feet of books. With C7 shipped MFC 1.0, a subset of the pre-release product from the PDC, it was a set of helper classes that could be used to make some aspects of C++ easier. It was not a framework for building an entire application, but rather simply some reusable code. Importantly, it was our team shipping, and that is what mattered. At Microsoft, shipping equated to being relevant, plus real artists ship. MFC 1.0 was constrained, and everything Jeff and Scott Raw thought would happen did. 
which was that the product helped our team figure out how to ship. The biggest lesson a new team can have about shipping is that once you ship, it gets easier to do so as a team the next time. We had real work to do to compete with the next system. We hardly had time to catch our breaths. While we were shipping MFC 1.0, the bulk of the AFX team, about 15 of us, was building an entirely new tool for creating Windows apps with the code name Composer, playing off the idea of art and artists creating and shipping. Composer was the tool to compete with Next Step Interface Builder, where a developer arranged the dialog boxes and menus of their app using a mouse and a graphical interface. Composer was also going to be the first large-scale Microsoft app written in C++ using MFC. We were self-hosted, or as the Windows NT team called it, eating our own dog food, an expression rooted in a 1970s commercial for Alpo dog food, the kind, of dogs, the kind dogs love to eat, and later used in an email from Paul Moritz extolling the virtues of using pre-release software ourselves. Composer was using the complete last class library we shipped in beta at the PDC. We still needed magic, though. Composer already had a competitor recently acquired by Borland, shipping with their C++. Borland Resource Workshop, BRW, became a favorite among developers. There was also a Borland class library called Object Windows Library, or OWL. To me, OWL seemed a lot like old AFX, bloated and different than Windows. With these tools, however, Borland was making significant headway with professionals. Scott Randall was the magician. The key challenge with Windows programming was that it was finicky and verbose. There was a lot of bookkeeping and rote code that was error prone. Doing simple things like putting up a dialog box for the user to make some choices and acting on those choices was hundreds of lines of code, all with ample opportunity for mistakes. For most professional programmers who honed their skills in character mode and MS-DOS, this stuff was maddening. Visual Basic pioneered the concept of making it easy to code GUI programs. The problem was that it was not viewed as a professional tool and was much more geared towards business app developers and not commercial C programmers. In use, NetStep looked like Visual Basic, but used what was considered a more professional, albeit obscure, language. Scott previously worked on something used across the big shipping products and apps, Word and Excel, called SDM, Standard Dialog Manager. It made it easy to design user interface and get information to and from the end user. He cleverly took those same techniques and built a way for MFC to accomplish this task. Instead of designing the interface by typing text in an editor, a programmer used Composer to connect windows, buttons, and checkboxes, or controls, to MFC C++ classes. The programmer added any extra code, like the input needed to be validated, a phone number, or something. Even better, if the developer needed to add another control, that could be done without any worries about breaking what was already there. We believe we created the first graphical tool for C++ programming that allowed code to be created and modified and then later changed without breaking it. Programming tools that created code were common, but they were usually limited to only creating code once or creating very fragile code that was difficult for programmers to modify or incorporate into large-scale projects. The online version has a screenshot of Composer, which is officially called App Studio. Composer was slick, super slick. Thanks to the program management from Cliff Swiggett and the artistry of developers like Brad Christian, the app itself was pioneering user interface techniques for Windows that would soon be seen across the industry. A favorite example was the small property inspector window that floated on top, 
always showing the details of what was being worked on. It had a cool little thumbtack to keep it locked in position. This wasn't all a theory either. It was being used in practice. Composer was being used to build Composer, which was itself built with MFC. We were building GUI tools using a GUI framework. Having said that, there was one challenge. We didn't have a GUI code editor or debugger. Those tools were still the old C7 character mode tools. It was not at all clear we could make the tools run well on Windows 3.0 and Windows NT was still not going to be a broadly used commercial product for some time. On the other hand, the next C++ product wouldn't be ready for some time. This was, again, a classic schedule chicken between two big teams with their own agendas. The languages team previously shipped the Quick C compiler, but it was a different code base from the professional compiler. The editor and, develop and debugger, collectively called an integrative development environment, were not the same level professional tools as the character mode ones, though they ran in Windows. The challenge was if we as a big team could bring the IDE together with Composer and MFC to create a professional development environment in and for Windows, then we would have something to compete with Next Step. It was rather contentious. The idea of being on Windows 3.0 was technically problematic because Windows was not robust enough for development. If the program crashed while being written, then the programming tools crashed too, probably losing work. Since programs always crashed when being built, Windows was pretty useless as a programming host. That doesn't stop Borland, though. Many professionals were on OS2 and anxiously awaiting or moving to Windows NT. For better or worse, there were many fans of the C6 and C7 character mode tools. While, we need and wish, while the need and wishes were obvious, the technical limitations were plentiful. The online version includes a character mode screenshot of what was called Programmer's Workbench, just for comparison. Schedule chicken is never fun. And generally at this point in Microsoft's evolving engineer culture, everyone is wrong about their dates. I think many on AFX felt the languages team was far too conservative on making the bet on, on graphical interface. Many on the languages team though thought the AFX team was naive and was not being pragmatic about what could be done or the risk to losing to Borland if we got caught not shipping for a long time while we waited on Windows. There were deep concerns on all sides about performance, such as speed to compile a program, which reviewers measured in exhaustive multi-page reviews. There was tension and frustration, and we were still behind both Borland and Next Step. The languages team was much more concerned about Borland, especially with the various teams at Microsoft continuing to make noise about performance relative to Borland. We were equally concerned about Next because that was the charter of our group. With no prior product experience and no connection to existing customers, the choice to build graphical tools seemed abundantly clear to me. In reality, I had a lack of empathy and experience upon which to base my opinion. We needed a decision across teams. So Jeff scheduled a meeting with Mike Mapp, who by now was leading all of product development at Microsoft in a sprawling role as executive vice president of the Worldwide Products Group. This was my first senior executive meeting. I am sure Mike had already heard all the sides of this in previous discussions with various leaders, as should have been the case. I was a new lead sitting in in the outer ring of chairs, the observer seats, the peanut gallery. Many people were in the meeting, which began with a slide outlining the big decision to be made. The decision was whether to make a big leap to a Windows GUI integrated development environment on NT or stick to what we, with what we knew to be a favorite among high-end professionals, especially those in apps, which was a character mode IDE, 
Or could we make something work on Windows 3? But how? There were schedule questions and chicken and also technology questions. There was an enormous deck with an insane level of detail across marketing and engineering. Right at the start, the first slide was labeled decision and an indication that the team was looking to Mike to lead the way. Mike had a sage and entertaining way of disarming any room and imparting wisdom at the same time. And he was about to do just that. He looked around the room and in his Oklahoman accent, there's a lot here, much more than I can absorb in an hour. How long have y'all been working on these foils and this problem? The room looked perplexed. Mike was still fairly new to most people, especially language. Everyone sort of mumbled in their own way, an indication that basically this is all we've been working on for weeks or more. Mike then said, y'all been working on this longer than me and no more than I ever will. So why don't you just tell me what you decided to do and then we can move the project forward. It was an incredible moment and frankly the opposite of everything I'd been culturally prepared to hear. We all envisioned executives as people we went to for answers, especially Bill G and the big architects. Here was the newest but most experienced senior person at the company telling us to decide on our own. Classic Mike, as it would turn out. That single interaction made a profound impression upon me, and it was the first of many lessons from Mike in the same spirit. Nevertheless, we debated vigorously among ourselves in front of Mike, which was a mistake. At one point, from the gallery, I overstepped my bounds and pushed too hard and in too negative a way in favor of moving to Windows. At least in my head, I, what I thought I was saying was obvious. Microsoft was a contentious place, but it also wasn't always an in-your-face aggressive place, especially in apps, which had far more of a refined culture than Windows, especially Windows NT. And definitely was wrong to do it in front of Mike and from the gallery. With all the pros and cons aired, the team committed to build a Windows-hosted toolset and find a way to make things work for Windows 3.0, committing to a separate project optimized for NT, but later. Composer would be one part of a complete Windows development toolset, including a compiler, code editor, debugger, and so on. We were, at least we thought, on a path to have something credible to compete with Borland and Next Step. The meeting was tough, and what people were really looking for was the right to own the target ship date if they were also being asked to create a new product. That's what Mike could assure the team. After the meeting, someone told Jeff that my participa participation in the meeting was poorly received. He summoned me and insisted that by the end of the day, I personally go and apologize to the leader of the C++ dev team, Dave Wheel, email Dave W-E, and then report back. Sheepishly, I did what I was told. I most definitely learned my lesson. Jeff was cool like that, perhaps due to his own experiences. At a time when Microsoft barely had any people management at all, and most of HR was recruiting, I was getting a lesson. As I would soon appreciate, especially after Windows Word and with the arrival of Mike Mapp, an incredibly strong and maturing management culture had developed in apps, but still needed to make it to new people like me and to Windows. It would come to define the teams I later worked on and how we and I aspired to lead. With the tension behind us, we were in the final stages of shipping a Windows IDE, a new composer, a complete class library, MFC 2.0, and a tool for creating apps. This last tool was known as AppWizard, or AppWiz, as we like to call it. AppWiz was our big demo. In an era where creating a Windows app could take days and required a 900-page book, a developer with a few clicks and without ever leaving the comfort of Windows create a whole app. It was industrial strength and professional. 
We still had to prove to pros that this was not a toy app and it was as powerful as writing a C app in the style of Charles Petzl's Windows programming book, the Bible of Windows programming. Taking a lesson from shipping MFC 1.0, we tracked daily the lines of code and size and bytes of MFC 2.0, but also the number of clicks, lines of code, and size of the Hello World app created with AppWiz. Our goal was to fit Hello World on a single page or even a single slide without cheating or breaking the purity of the MFC app framework. We achieved this goal, and it really wasn't a hack or a fake. In just a few clicks, a fully functional program capable of having multiple windows, file open and save dialogues, a help menu, that was important back then, and even an about box, even more important since that's where the name of the programmers often went. The killer feature, which was eventually employed by Netscape for Windows, was printing with print preview, notoriously difficult features. We made them essentially free. All the programmer needed to do was add the code for drawing his or her content on the screen. The online version includes a screenshot of the sample application that shipped with MFC called Scribble. Given the compelling nature of the demos I was about to experience, hand-on combat in the world of software and development tools. Borland was going all out to gain the upper hand, and with the beta release of what was being called C8 and what was then in the PDC-NT build, there was starting to be some grumbling about how efficient and compliant MFC was with, quote, industry standards. This way was, the way this was done back then was twofold. First, companies wrote detailed technical white papers of 20 to 30 pages and circulated to them to, them to the press and influential analysts. These papers served as background material and were used by writers as sources. They rarely saw the light of day because by reusing the content in them rather than quoting them directly, all the analysts and writers seemed more objective and smarter. These white papers amounted to gentlemanly trash talk. This was sort of the air war of competition. The second was the use of the old Usenet newsgroups at, at a grassroots or hand-to-hand combat level. This was much more direct and had much less polite when going after each other. Usenet was a massive trove of the internet's first worldwide bulletin board system. It was organized into groups much like today's Reddit. There were several interesting groups for MFC and C++ with Unix-like names, comp.lang.c++.standards or comp.os.mswindows.programmer. Getting on the internet, technically this was pretty much all that was on the internet in 1991, from within Microsoft wasn't easy back then, so I awful, often dialed up from home or went downstairs to the lobby and used the fax line and went through my own dial-up service, as crazy as it sounds. Eventually, the groups were available internally through what was called a mirror site. On these groups, people posted arguments or rants about topics, and then a long argument thread ensued. I spent hours debating people, some anonymous, some from Borland even, over the esoteric aspects of the C++ language syntax and rules or topics like performance of MFC Windows programs. The old internet devoted this, devolved the same way today's internet does. Only the tools change. Most discussions eventually end up in a stalemate or name calling. Eventually, I took matters into my own hands. Back from the Borland Developers Conference, or BDC, in San Diego that I attended under an assumed name since my original registration was rejected as a Microsoft employee, Borland was like that, I wrote my first guerrilla marketing and technical buzzsaw taken to a competitive product. A technical buzzsaw was a favorite Microsoft technique that used to look at competitive products or even code from another team internally and quickly find all its flaws or weaknesses. 
At the conference, they were vicious and trashed the current release of C++ and the beta with MFC 2.0. All fired up, I wrote my first white paper. Borderland C++ and Application Frameworks 3.0 versus Microsoft C, C++ 7.0. An expose, a draft response prepared by Microsoft Development. I did my best work to shred the Borland competitive assertions in a white paper that they had, they had distributed at their conference. The online version has a screenshot of that white paper. This was the start of writing missives late at night in hotel rooms, which became a pattern for some of my best work, I should say humbly. We just needed to ship. I, at least I shipped once in beta, finally. <laughs> 